Hey, this is Brian, co-founder at Leon Health. Today on Brainwave by Leon, we have Jeff Reisler, founder of Sales Health Alliance, a preeminent sales advisory firm, which is focused on building awareness around improving mental health in high-performing sales teams. On this episode, we discuss Jeff's company mission and his thoughts behind organizational resiliency and mental health best practices. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. We had a great time. Cheers. I'd love to just get a brief introduction and background on who you are, what you do, what's your specialty, and maybe like why you've focused on burnout as that hill you're choosing to die on and why you're putting so much effort into helping solve it for sales teams specifically. So yeah, my name is Jeff Risen, the founder of the Sales Health Alliance, and I, I really created the company to help empower sales teams to reach peak levels of sales performance and resilience through better mental health. And this is really just born out of my own experience from working in sales, dealing with really bad anxiety, insomnia, panic attacks throughout my career, and, and just learning from these experiences and, and, and doing my own work, the own, my own inner work to help learn ways to manage my mental health, manage my mindsets, learn about the neuroscience behind how the brain works and how it works under stress so that you can work with your anxiety rather than against it. And it really became prevalent how important this stuff was as diagnosed to, to diagnosed with testicular cancer back in 2018. And it was during this period where the same strategies that I was using to take care of my mental health and sales, I naturally started to execute on during this next stressful period of my life. And that's really where this topic really became so important because it was, I started to realize that anxiety in sales is not optional and burnout in sales is not optional. It's really part of everyday life. And how do we really start shifting the perspective on this conversation away from this taboo type of perspective and really starting to change this conversation around you know, salespeople are corporate athletes and to show up and perform every single day. And how do we better support them with resilience, EQ, recovery metrics, a lot of the thing that I'm sure, a lot of the things that I'm sure Brian's going to speak to as well. How do we support them? So they're showing up their best each day. And in terms of why I've decided to die on the sale, it's because I've felt it. I've lived those anxiety attacks. I've lived those panic attacks. And it's, if I can help make one, someone 1% better and lower the intensity and the frequency by 1%, then that's going to be a meaningful life for me at the end of the day. Yeah, it's really important to me. I've lived it and I'm really excited to see how this conversation is evolving over the last couple of years. Awesome. Thank you. Brian? Yeah, so my name is Brian Smith. I'm one of the co-founders at Leon. My background is I worked in professional sports, primarily within USA track and field, as well as a couple other countries. Essentially, what I did is I lived in the sports science world, right? So we would use data science and physiological monitoring to ultimately predict performance or predict injury in professional athletes. That could be anywhere from like EEG and ECG, some of the stuff that Jeff does with like whoop to subjective questionnaires, depending what country you're in, could have been muscle biopsies, right? So there's a bunch of different things that sort of we got into, but ultimately it was about managing our teams and managing our athletes to win gold medals. Since uh, leaving that, I started a company called Leon, which obviously this is our podcast. And essentially what we do is we help maximize employee well-being and performance by using data science, playbook recommendations, a smart marketplace, and a bunch of other really cool tools. Yeah, and I'm from a passion standpoint, man, and I think it ends up being the same thing with Jeff, is, you know, it's a problem a lot of times that work hurts people as much as it does, and especially in sales. And, and, and Jeff, you probably speak better, to the, uh, more to this better, but, you know, the, the mental health numbers regarding the sales performance and, and burnout and 
probably divorce rates and alcoholism and a bunch of other things within high growth sales companies is probably massively high. And that's not even taken into account the, the amount of churn and attrition that probably takes place before those things really kick in. So, you know, ultimately, I think myself and Leon, we just really just want to help people. I want to make work something that improves people and doesn't necessarily hurt people, which sometimes it, it actually does. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's like really, I think we can both agree on that the nice, the really exciting part about this topic and this goal that and this, that we're in this mission that we're both on is not only is it the ethical and moral thing to do, but it's also going to drive better performance and all these other kind of business goals that we're after. It's actually going to lead to better performance. And a friend of mine, Steve DeGruyte over at Brivia Consulting said it's, we're at a point now where burnout and declining mental health, like it's costing lives and it's, it's severe, severely reducing our life expectancy. Like this isn't something that's, oh, we can deal with it later. It's like, no, like this is actually costing lives and we need to start prioritizing this topic because it's really important and your employees should be important. And Ajit, do you think it's an awareness issue or do you think it's an education issue or is it, or, or is it both? Because the problem that I have with it is, and we've talked about this before, is I don't really think most HR leaders or managers just in general have any understanding what we mean when we say mental health, or even like what we mean when we say burnout. What's your opinion on that? So I think it's a bit of an awareness issue. I think the awareness has gotten way better over the last sort of three, five years where people are like more willing to embrace this conversation. I think specifically in the world that I deal with, which is for working with, with sales teams and sales leaders, I actually think it's a fear issue. And I think it's a fear issue in the sense that one, because we've never had these, the training and the skills to really have these vulnerable conversations, there's this fear of, oh, what happens when I, how do I start these conversations? What if I open it up and I don't know how to handle these conversations? So sales leaders are a little resistant from that standpoint. And two, there's also a fear issue in the sense that there's always that next month, that next quarter, that next target to hit or those metrics to hit every single day. And as a result, there's this fear behind why would I, it's kind of like doing this is the definition of standing doing the same thing over and over again, even though it's not working as well as it should be, but there's so much fear around missing target or missing your metrics that it's really hard to embrace something that might be a little more radical, a little more like something that's very new. So I think that's a lot of the resistance that I'm seeing from sales sales leaders is how do I balance equipping my team and having these conversations, but not totally changing what I'm doing from like a metrics and a sales standpoint. So there's a big element of fear that I don't think a lot of people are willing to acknowledge, especially leaders at the top, that they're actually really scared and it's okay to be scared, but this is actually going to help if you lean into it and start learning how to develop your teams and support their mental health and their well-being and manage their burnout. Now, do you think that be, you think there, that fear lies in being reactive and then instead of proactive? Right, because you talk about having these conversations, but I guess the, com the the question I have for you is: Do we need to have these conversations, or we're being proactive enough to manage it? Because I feel like by the time we're already having that conversation, it might already be a problem. Mm -hmm. So, how do how can sales leaders either build in strategies or build in activities where it's underlying, right, where it's not just like completely pivot sort of everything to make a change? where we're building in these things. So like I said, it's more proactive leadership yeah. and proactive management versus let's give everybody a day off because everybody's burnt out. 
Yeah, so I think this ties into, I think the best way to answer that question is it's really a, a perspective shift that needs to happen around mental health. Like academically speaking, the way I define mental health is it's a spectrum of well-being that people fluctuate along on a daily basis. And mental health applies to everyone, just like physical health applies to everyone. There's some people in worse shape and some people in really good shape. And I think right now where I think we're starting to catch up and where this conversation is being is is, is going, which is really exciting, is where there's less stigma. Before, I think a lot of leaders were like mental health only applies when you're really burnt out or you're really anxious or you're really depressed. And now it's this idea that it's like the spectrum of all being. And the goal here is, again, treating your salespeople like corporate athletes. If depending on where each person on your team is struggling, where they are on that met on that spectrum, how do you make them show up as best as they possibly can? And that kind of plays into, I think, what a lot of Leon is doing is predicting the amount of strain, the amount of stress, the amount of kind of burnout the team is struggling from so that you can make those micro adjustments along the way. So you can build in recoveries you can build in really solid boundaries with your work self-care strategies throughout the day mindset techniques to change how you're perceiving stress all of these things can be used on a daily basis and again another thing that i like to talk about is a lot of people are overusing vacation they're using it as last resort where they're really anxious and they're really depressed and then they go on vacation and they're like this is the time when i'm going to go to the spa i'm going to do some reading i'm going to catch up with friends and realistically, if you think about it, other than traveling to a new country or a new city, everything that you're doing on vacation, you can be doing every single day, provided you have the right boundaries with work to build in those critical times where you let your body unwind, de-stress, recover, rest and digest. And I think that's really critical piece as well as don't overuse vacation. We need to start building it in. And to your point, a lot of organizations are waiting till their teams are all the way down on that mental health spectrum where they're really burnt out. And then, okay, now's the time. <laughs> now is the time when we want to give them a day off. And it's no, like, that's not, it's like a last resort. That's a reactive strategy, like you were saying. Yeah. And I think that's, and, and, and maybe I use sports analogies too much, but I, it's just where I go back to. And I say there's like to Braden and other people on our team all the time to slap me if I keep on using sports analogies, but the equivalent of way that the way that sales leaders manage things now is the equivalent of essentially destroying your team up until the day before the Olympics and then giving them one day off. It's just, there's no this there's no understanding as far as this uh, like stress and recovery sort of complex in how things work out. And ultimately, if, and the reason I asked the education piece of it is we talk about resiliency and, and resiliency is one of these things where it's almost became a, a buzzword within the world that we live in. Let's build resiliency. But again, I asked the question, do people actually understand what resiliency is? And like resiliency is one of these things where it's time dependent. It fluctuates up and down, just like stress, just like fatigue, and they all feed each other. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what we're looking for is to build teams and organizations that are highly resilient. But we it's not like we build that resilient organization and just stop. Mm -hmm. Right, because what's going to happen? You're going to back off or something along those lines, and your team and that resiliency is going to drop back down. So the way to build resilient organizations and improve mental health and whatever have you is this interplay between rest and recovery, constantly improving and going up over time. Mm -hmm. It can't just be like let's push as hard as we possibly can through this sprint, back off. All right and then do it again and back off and do it again. This doesn't work that way, right? It needs to be a constant sort of uh, 
uptick as far as rest and recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think it's there's like the way targets are set in sales are just mm -hmm. like structurally reinforcing behaviors that are leading to more and more burnout. And I think what's been interesting with the pandemic and everything that's happened with COVID is I think we're, we're seeing how shaky that structure is when you, that added external stress load goes up. But I was thinking about, I listen to sports analogies too. And the way I think about it is like before the pandemic, I think we were all getting by if we want to hypothetically say we were able to get by with like minimal kind of resilience, minimal mental health care, minimal rest and recovery. It was like we were running like a 5k every day. You don't need to stress. You don't need to stretch. You don't need to train too hard. It's something that we were able to do. I don't think what a lot of people are realizing is like, whether we like it or not, with this added external stress, it's like we're trying to run 50 or 20K every single day. And recovery metrics, mental health, your well-being, like resilience, it's no longer an optional strategy. It's like mandatory. If you want to cons consistently get up and try and run 20K every single day because of this external stress that's, that's being created, you have to increase your recovery periods and you have to match that external strain with more recovery periods to make sure you're showing up your best self each day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people are realizing that there's still a great deal of unconscious stress that's impacting us on a daily basis because this like new normal has just become like the thing to do. And it's no, like we're still not able to socialize. We're still not able to execute on really defined boundaries, but good boundaries between work and play and all of these things still exist, but because we've been in it for so long, I think this un it's really turned into this unconscious stress that a lot of us have lost perspective on. Yeah, it's still no, impacting us. I, I agree. And more importantly, not even more importantly, on the same vein, understanding every single person in your whole entire sales organization has different levels of adaptability and different levels of resilience. And the way that stress impacts me is going to be completely different the way that it impacts you. And on the opposite of that, the way that I recover might be completely different than the way that you recover. I and mean, we've quantified this, right? I, we used to be able to say what a cold tub does to someone, what an ice bath does to someone, what a sauna does to someone, what a float tank does to someone, what heavy massage, what light massage, what a hard workout, what a light workout. Every single person adapts and recovers individually. And that's not necessarily something that we're going to fix in the work environment. It's just impossible to do individual sort of management and leadership. Mm -hmm. But we can keep that into account and we can strategize and understand that that is a real life thing that we have to manage and deal with. Totally. I think it's a great point because yeah, everyone is different and everyone is going to, like you said, need to rest and recover. Stress is going to impact people totally differently. And everyone's kind of stress, like top level stress is going to be way different than each other. And it's, again, it's going back to this idea that this impacts everybody. Like it's, and again, there's people that are in really good shape and there are people in not so great shape and it doesn't matter who you are, but we need to start prioritizing this conversation because if we can essentially shift our whole organization to be showing up 1% better, 2% better mm -hmm. when they encounter stressful situations in sales, like they're missing target or they're getting rejected they have the on the fly tactics and the training that they know how to respond to these situations in a mentally healthy way. That's going to just shifting your organization entirely in that one direction is just going to make an insane impact to your bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it's going to improve all those other things that we're so caught up in, like burnout and retention and attracting top talent. Like it really helps improve all of those areas as well, not alone just generating more revenue. So 
that's why I think as well, going back to your, your initial question, why I'm so passionate about this is it's just, it's so obvious to me now. Like, it's just like in my head, it's in, it's here. And it's like, how is no one seeing how obvious this is yet? And that's why I think a lot of this has to do with fear and this anxiety and this short-term thinking that it takes, a, it's going to require people to step outside their comfort zone and, and, and learn how to do this and embrace change, which is hard to do at an organizational level. Sure. So let me ask you a question. When it, obviously there's tons of sort of performance tools out there that could be used, right? There's OKRs, there's KPIs, there is 360 reviews, there's one-on-ones and all those other things, right? How are you finding that this conversation is being had on an individual level with people? Meaning if you're my sales manager and we sit down for a one-on-one, a weekly one-on-one, how are proactive leaders having that conversation with their sales teams? I think it's still new. I don't even necessarily think that they're, that they are happening right now. And I think it's because there's just a sheer lack of visibility and a sheer lack of data around it. Like you, you talked about, I use whoop and I like use whoop on a daily basis to measure my HRV and my resting heart rate and my respiratory rate. And I'm very aware of these metrics so that I can, I see if my stress levels are getting out of control, I can taper down and balance my balance myself to make sure that I'm again, showing up my best each day. But I know Leon's doing something different with the metrics they're measuring. And again, all this predictive burnout type data, it's brand new. I think you called it wellness intelligence. I'm calling it the sales enablement of well-being because sales enablement is primarily focused on sales coaching and technology. This is all about the sales enablement being better performance through better mental health and well-being. And I think, I don't think we're at a point yet where I have enough data points to say, oh, this is how it should be done, or this is how the conversations are going. I think the next big step is like, how do we start bringing in this well-being and this health and wellness data into these one-on-one conversations on an ongoing basis? Something that I talk about is in kind of my trainings and the conversations I have is even just improving emotional literacy within your organization, where you have each like a lot of us right now are essentially are emotionally illiterate. We can only identify some of the stronger emotions that we're facing, like anger, like fear, like sadness, but we have a tough time identifying the more sensitive emotions that we might be facing. Like what does disappointment feel like or loss of connection? What are all these sensitive emotions that we're facing and how do you essentially build that knowledge? How do you make both the manager and the individual contributor more emotionally literate so that they can actually have conversations about how they're feeling and meet each other where they are so that they can work through this together. Because I know when I was working in sales, it's just be like, end of the day would show up. I'd have a couple, I'd maybe win a deal. I'd get rejected 50 times on my cold calls. I would get a buyer would ghost us or ghost me. And by the end of the day, all I would feel was be this like really intense buzzing. I would have no idea what I was feeling. It's I hate how I'm feeling. How do I run and avoid this, whether through whether it was through hours of video games or partying heavily or drinking heavily? And it's just, I just wanted to run away. And I think emotional literacy is a really good starting point for managers and individual contributors to start improving that, doing that inner work to learn more about the types of emotions that you're feeling on an ongoing basis and learn about some of those more sensitive emotions. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So let me ask you a question. Performance, there's two sides to the coin of performance, right? There is the recovery side, but there's also the high performance side. Do you think we should have a conversation on understanding the teams that are recovered and ultimately how to push those teams potentially harder? Because I know in sport, we weren't necessarily, we were always looking to figure out a way to recover. More importantly, we were looking for ways to stress them out a little bit more because we understood that if an athlete can handle it, that their adaptability was high and ultimately you can get a higher response out of them. So I'll use it in a, a real time case in, in business. So 
like upskilling. Upskilling has a stress response associated with it, right? Because essentially I'm telling you that you have to learn a new skill or a, a new job requirement or whatever that is, which obviously you're going to benefit from, but the company's going to benefit from as well. Mm-hmm. Or another example would be giving autonomy, more autonomy, like mm-hmm. that Google effect of allowing team members to take 20% of their time to work on side projects. All those things are great in theory, but I think you have to like, your team members have to earn the right to get there. And you have to understand that they can handle the new stress that's about to be like placed on that. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, with your salespeople or the companies that you consult with, if they say that, listen, my team is, and you strap them up to a whoop, and my team is 100% recovered, they're optimized, they're good. Does that change the way that you program or the change that maybe the goals that you create for those individuals if they are fully recovered and ready to go? Yeah, I, I think so. I absolutely think that's like a unique moment in time when you want to capitalize on this, on, on your team being prepared to take on more stress. And it's going back to this idea that stress is not inherently bad. It's how you use stress and how do we essentially maximize the use of stress to our advantage? Because without stress, you don't build any growth. You don't build any kind of muscles. You don't strengthen. And it's like using that stress and then allowing your body to essentially integrate everything and, and recover is how you essentially raise that baseline overall and performance. Absolutely. I, I totally agree that if, if you have that data to know when to push your teams, when they're rest and recover, then for sure, that is a great time to look at how long you can push them, how much harder you can push them. What are different things? Some of those more challenging tasks that you might be mm-hmm. you know, waiting to do because you're too tired. How do you work some of those in? And again, you can start actually running really real good experiments, but it really requires to have that data in the first place to know when the team is recovered. Or yeah, when. and I think the conversation needs to live around performance for these type of things, right? Because I feel like sometimes we soften it too much, right? Because ultimately companies do have goals and, and leaders do have goals, and that is in, to increase revenue. We shouldn't take that away because as soon as we start having a conversation about lowering goals or lowering performance to manage the mental health or whatever of your people, like holistically, that's the right thing. But investors, stakeholders, stockholders, founders, VPs, they're always going to, they're always going to come back and they're going to be like, okay, but how are the numbers? That is real life. It's a shame, but it's real life. Mm -hmm. So we have to start moving towards a world where well-being is a little bit more of a KPI, right? And it gives you a range of what that KPI looks like and how you make adjustments in real time. Because if we don't get to that, I have a really hard, really disbelief that people are going to buy in because ultimately people are greedy and ultimately companies are going to want to grow despite their people. So do you think to that level without playing, like again, playing both sides of that coin and figure out a way to maximize it, but also a way to decrease it when needed. Yeah, like that, but that's the best part I feel with sales is, is it's, they're already so hyper measured and there's so much focus on output metrics right now, like the dials that are being made, the length of sales cycles, churn rates, how much revenue is in their pipeline. Like these are unlike any other organization within a department or within an organization, the sales department is so hyper, is so measured on every single activity that a person is doing every single day, that I don't think it takes long for an organization to run an experiment to see the impact of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Where you start focusing and you run an experiment, say call it a quarter or even six months, and you start 
building in some of these well-being metrics and these mental health metrics, like you start focusing on this and seeing how, what happens when we improve the input to our organization? What's the level of self-esteem? Are they sleeping? Are they anxious? Are they depressed? And two, do they have these tools to respond to these stressors that they're facing in a mentally healthy way? You'll be able to capture that data really quickly and see a direct impact on these daily metrics because salespeople are so measured. This is the perfect time to run an experiment to your point, to start changing this conversation where you can see we increased our calls by 30% or we increased the amount of pipe and the amount of revenue in our pipeline by 500K. Like that's going to open up a lot of eyes. And it goes back to how we started this conversation. Not only is it the ethical and moral thing to do, but it's actually going to drive better performance. And you just need to be willing to carve out those few months to run these experiments and buy into this idea that if we improve the input of how our people are showing up each day, it's going to lead to a better output. And I think it's the way I like to think about it is a lot of organizations right now are, are operating in terms of a linear type of type of model where they're trying, they're looking at a salesperson and say, okay, we're going to work on negotiation this week. Then we're going to work on objection handling next week. And then we're going to work on how do we make them more confident or more enthusiastic. And they're trying to tackle each one of these traits and these skills and these crafts individually. But what they're failing to realize is, and, and sure, there's probably going to generate some good results if you provide a new negotiation training. But what they're failing to realize is if you want to take an exponential approach to your organization and really ramp up that ramp up how that team is performing, all these skills, all these traits, everything that you're working on individually, it all roots back to having a healthy body and a healthy mind. So if you improve the health of your mind by 1% or 2%, it's going to have a direct impact off of all of these different areas that you're trying to focus on individually. And that's where you're going to see that exponential growth in performance. Yeah, really, like I said, it's the nice thing about sales is you'll be able to see data very quickly because they're already measuring a lot of the output metrics. And now the piece that we're missing is that other side of the coin that we're both passionate about solving, which is the input metrics. So mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's a big ask for organizations to say, let's try this for a quarter. Let's try this for six months to see what actually happens to performance. Yeah. And I, I like looking at it because most of the time I feel like we look at mat, like predicting and managing mental health and whatnot on, on the back end with existing teams. But I love this concept of using it for like new hires because, and especially in bucketing those new hires into a separate group. Mm -hmm. And then Braden, you could attest to this and you're new at Leon, right? Where the stress that a new hire feels as an SDR, BDR, whatever that is, Think about the, the amount of stress that individual is going through. This is potentially their first job. Maybe they moved to a new city. They're learning completely new skills. They're dealing with brand new people. The amount of stress is insanely high. So we can start using sort of these tools or metrics or whatever it is. To understanding the stress that happens is a part of the onboarding process of a new employee. Then you can control sort of one experience, but also churn and attrition of that individual. Because mm -hmm. You know, we have a tendency when a, a new person starts a, a job to just throw everything out mm -hmm. and it ends up being a sink or swim mentality when that is really the last thing that we should be doing. We should be managing very closely the amount of stress, the amount of strain and all those other things so we can make sure we get the most longevity out of that individual over time. Does that make sense? Did you freeze? Oh, there sorry. you go. You're back. <laughs> sorry, we, lo we, we lost. A little less Canadian internet is the worst internet, by the way. But, <laughs> yeah. But did you get, did you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah, no, I got that. It was like very much like I'm with you. I totally agree with measuring this stuff from the onboarding piece to really be, and again, that's like going back to what we were talking about. That's a great place to experiment where it's not a big ask for an organization. You can bucket out 
a group of new hires, call it five, 10 new hires that are happening and trying this stuff and seeing how this works and measuring all these things that you're talking about, like retention, like burnout, like how long does it take for them to ramp up to where they are a top performer? So totally agree. And I think you're absolutely right that SDRs versus AEs versus someone that's been in the industry for 10, 15 years, they're going to have different stress experiences. And I think a lot of that comes down to one of the key things when it comes to changing your mindset is having that, those past experiences to know that you can be successful. You can learn what to, what happens when a deal falls through, you've overcome it before versus a new hire who's fresh out of university. They don't know what's going on. Like it's, it's, it, they don't have those past experiences to lean on to build that confidence. What is, what has been your opinion as far as starting with Leon, just joining the workforce and whatnot? How is yeah, So I think, especially with Leon, there's just, because this is the topic of conversation for us day in and day out, it's what personally I'm pouring myself into with you guys and the conversations I'm having and seeing on LinkedIn, wherever else. I think a huge part has been increasing my awareness around how I feel, the way I perceive work and actually like being conscious about what recovery should look like for me. Whereas before I had never even question that. It was just, I'm like also a college student and I'm also working. So it's we're like an anomaly where burnout is okay. Like we're pulling late nighters, we're, we're going to work, then we're going to school. And so we disregard this. And I think there's a shift when you get into the workplace, but yeah, definitely that, that awareness piece and like experimenting has been huge for me. And so I wonder, Jeff, what do you think, what percent of this is on the shoulders of the employer and how much of this should just be me out of my own volition seeking recovery and what should be taking place in the workplace and how much do I have to set aside for recovery at home? And you talked about boundaries. So I'd love to hear what are those boundaries or what are some of the practical interventions that you share with people, maybe just as a baseline for getting familiar with recovery and just the whole topic. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot there and it's a lot to break down in that question, but I, I guess I'll start with like, it's, it's crazy to me to, to think that even if we think about schools, colleges, universities, like they're still lagging behind. They're not giving you the tools and the skills and they're putting you in these high pressure environments where you need to write, take a test or write an essay that's worth 75% or 100% of your grade. That's a life-changing stressor that you're potentially encountering. And again, even schools and universities and academic institutions aren't equipping you. Organizations need to acknowledge that more so than in any other given time, I would say this is not a, like a firm, accurate number by any means, but if I was to shoot from the hip and guess, I would say anywhere from 80 to 90% of every new hire that comes into your company going forward is coming in with some form of an addiction, whether it's a social media addiction, whether it's a drinking addiction or whether it's other, some other form of addiction, like social media has totally changed the way that these, this next generation of employees and the next generation of workforce is going to be working. So organizations that fail to acknowledge that and bring this conversation to light is it's going to start to impact them big time at an individual level. I think it's absolutely critical for individuals to take on a lot of the responsibility. If you're within an organization, you can't wait for someone to wait for an organization to support you. That's something that I had to do very early on. I couldn't find any support. And I just looked at this as, look, I love sales. This is a career I want to be in. There's so much learning, so much growth that can take place, but I was burning out in my mental health and my anxiety. It was just not a sustainable place for me to be. And it's, it really needs to embrace your 
sales and a career in sales, like a craft that you're working to get better on and developing that long-term view where you start thinking less about that short-term target and start thinking, how am I going to develop and become the best possible sales person in my organization over the length of a couple of years rather than this month, next month, or this quarter. And part of that long-term view comes back to making sure that you are managing stress in an effective way and making sure that you're building in enough recovery so you're showing up your best every day. In terms of like tactical things that I do, one of the biggest things I do is like I decide when I'm going to stop working before I start working. Every single day before I start my day, I'm like, I'm going to stop working at 4.30 a day. There's days when I'm saying, I'm going to stop working at 2, uh, 2 p.m. today because I know my morning is such a heavy stress load. I'm doing two presentations. I'm doing a podcast. I need an added recovery that day. So I shut it down at 2 p.m. And it's having these very rigid boundaries of when to stop working based off of the stress that I'm encountering that day. Another thing I talk about that's been really helpful is bookending my day. So having a startup routine of self-care strategies, like a Wim Hof method, a cold shower, maybe a walk outside, get some fresh air. And then I bookend that day with a shutdown routine of making a to-do list for the next day, getting a workout in, maybe another meditation. It changes through it depending on what the day is, but I always have this kind of bookend process to help my body wind up and shut down in an effective way. So that's really been helpful for me when it comes to managing that rest and recovery and making sure that I'm building it into my day so I don't get sidetracked by the tasks and I don't enter this reactive mode where 3 p.m. rolls around and it's, I know I need to take a break right now, but what I want to do in these moments is keep making calls. It's like, it doesn't work like that. You have to make the, put in that work before you become reactive to situations. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So I wonder, is this ability to respond to stress at a greater capacity, is that a product of my recovery or is there a component of just me learning how to actually thrive in stress? Because stress is just, like, it's a given, right? It's a part of our daily lives. It's a part of our work. And how do you help people see that stress can be good to an extent? And then also what are some of the key signs or signals that someone can recognize in their own life that this is too much stress or this is a good amount of stress? Yeah. So I think going back to the building awareness piece, that's like a, that's like a huge one. And if you think about like the, again, the spectrum of well-being, that your mental health is you fluctuate along it on a daily basis. Ultimately, one of the keys that you need to be able to do is learn when you're moving down that mental health spectrum in response to the stressors throughout the day. So there's really four things you want to look out for. You want to look out for changes in your thinking. So it's usually starts with like intrusive thoughts. So these are like, what if statements that start popping into your head that say, what if I miss my target? What if I don't make this? What if I don't close this client? What if I get rejected on my next call? These what if statements are a really good sign that your thinking is starting to get a little wonky, then changes in your emotions. What are you feeling emotionally? Are you starting to become more angry? Are you starting to become more irritated by things around you? Are you starting to be like, it's like really identifying changes in your emotions and there's changes in what you're feeling physically. So these are somatic symptoms. Do you get, start to get dry mouth? For me, I start to get a pain in my upper right side of my stomach. Are you not sleeping? The other thing I get is I start to get night sweats in the middle of the night when I start to move down that mental health spectrum. And going back to what Brian said before, there's going to be these stress is going to manifest in different ways, depending on who you are. It's going to hold it, hold in your body in different places. So becoming aware of these physical symptoms is another kind of good thing to keep in mind. And then the last book you want to focus on is changes in your behavior. So micro changes in what you're doing, the more 
you start to become stressed, the more you start to become burnt out, you're going to start defaulting to bad habits, whether it's smoking, whether it's scrolling too much on social media. So keeping an eye on your screen time is a really good one. Do you normally spend it an hour a day and now you're spending two hours or two and a half hours a day? That's a good sign that something's going on. Changes in micro behaviors is another really good way to keep an eye on like when you're moving down the mental health spectrum. And a good framework is HALT. It stands for, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? Asking yourself that throughout the day will help you keep a rough, good estimate of how you're feeling throughout the day and filling those needs whenever you need, whenever you feel one of them is, is running on empty. So yeah, it's like an awareness piece. I, I think you asked a second piece, like what was the other part of your question? What can you start doing? Or did that kind of help answer the... Yeah, no, yeah, I think that all just helped. Yeah, I think a big thing is just like, helping. Yeah. Like people need to understand what is and what isn't burnout. I think just almost with any sort of mental health symptom, there's this question that goes on in my head, at least, is this a sign of a bigger issue or am I just like having an off day and it's fine? Like it'll blow over. And I think there's danger in that because people will let too many days blow over and it actually compounds into something. Awareness of what's something I should be concerned about is Mm -hmm pretty significant. And then, yeah, you answered, what are the solutions uh, or strategies for kind of mitigating that or acting on those feelings? Yeah. Yeah. So to add on to that point, like you said, some people let it blow over. And if you think about those kind of four buckets I mentioned that I talked about, you really want to think about intensity, duration, and frequency. Those are like the key things that you want to keep an eye on where it's okay to show up extremely fatigued one day. Like maybe the intensity is high and the duration is very low. But if you're showing up a little bit fatigued, intensity is low and duration is, and you're showing up fatigued every single day, that's a sign that you're burning out because it's every single day. It's that you're not letting your body get back to that baseline level. So it's like intensity, a very intense moment would be, are you having a panic attack, really intense changes in somatic feelings, emotions, like the way you're thinking, like these are really intense changes. And that's another good sign that you've moved farther down that mental health spectrum versus being just like a little bit anxious or maybe a little bit stressed. So try to keep that in mind, like intensity, duration, and frequency. When any of those start to go really high, there's a sign there that you've blown past some critical recovery periods and you're no longer using stress to your advantage. You're operating in a state of distress where things are going to start impacting your sales performance on an ongoing basis. Awesome. Just one last question, Jeff. Is there anything that we're forgetting to ask you or that we should be asking you? No, I think this is a, I think this has been a really good conversation. Like, again, I think it's, I think it's just going back to this idea that we really need to prioritize this as organizations. When, if we are trying to focus on driving better performance and we want bigger revenue targets to be hit and we want to keep adding this more and more stress loads to our team, we have to have to balance that with better recoveries and looking at recovery metrics to support them because at some point this whole system is going to break and it's not sustainable. And I think we're starting to see that with what's happening with the pandemic. It's added this extra stress load. And I think a lot of organizations are thinking when this pandemic is over and things go back to normal, oh, we won't need to really prioritize this stuff. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Like mental health was here long before the pandemic. So we hear long after the pandemic and talking about this stuff. So this is a really great time to use this as a catapult to start talking about this within our teams. Because if you thought the switch 
to working from home was, was tough. Wait to the switch back and any introverts on your team, anyone that's been crying, dealing with sensitive emotions, angry, really frustrated. They've been dealing with those emotions at home in the safety, surrounded by loved ones, surrounded by their pets. Just wait till they have to flip back and they're dealing this with complete strangers and who they feel like they don't trust or can't have vulnerable conversations with or a manager that's micromanaging them. This problem is going to get way worse than the flip back if we're not putting in the work in now to start these vulnerable conversations with our team. Yeah, that was a, that's a great close, Jeff. Good job on that, man. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, cool. We'll cut this up. I'll try to have it out by sometime next week. And just, I'll probably cut up a bunch of like audiograms and whatnot for you. Yeah. So I'll share them with you. Um, yeah. Just send me your logo and I'll make cool. them for you. Cool. Um, send it over and we'll just go from there. Yeah. How, how did you guys find it? Was the conversation... It was fantastic, man. Awesome. I, think, nice. I think I realized I'm sort of trending towards burnout right now. I just need, <laughs> I think I need someone else to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got the I got my whole afternoon booked off because I'm like I've been gunning it pretty hard too, and it's just like I gotta really just chill a little bit and disconnect for a little bit and get off the screen. All right, cool. All right, guys, have a great day. Okay. Yeah.